Amen. Merry Christmas. It's nice to see a little feedback. I, I usually teach to the youth, and I make them feedback a little bit, even if they're uncomfortable. Uh, there's a word called amen. It means so be it. Sometimes we say, hey, if you feel like you uh, hear something that you agree with, feel free to yell out amen. We're not scared of that here. Uh, I'm a big gospel fan. It's kind of like a hidden thing. I don't tell all the kids. I don't tell my even wife, really. I listen to gospel music on my own in my car sometimes. Grew up loving gospel music. Dan, keyboardist, he knows what I'm talking about. We have conversations about our favorite Gaither stuff, favorite Cathedral Quartet stuff. And grew, I, my mom was in like a gospel band for 40 plus years. She still is. She's traveled. She has multiple albums out. And she, one of her favorite songs, or my favorite songs that I'd hear her sing along with all the gospel bands I love is a song called I've Read the Back of the Book and We Win. And every time it was played, I would be like, people knew I was her kid because I was like screaming from the back pew, that song. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read you some lines from it. You can hear why I loved it. I've been reading in the Bible, just so you know, there's no G's in gospel. It's reading with a little apostrophe. So I've been reading in the Bible about the coming of the age. And one thing that's for certain is that it grows closer every day. But I'm not concerned about the way it's going to end, because I've read the back of the book and we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. There's no more living in darkness. We'll be living at home with him. You see, there ain't no need to worry about it. If you're born again, because I read the back of the book and we win. Kind of want to get Dan up here to play so we can sing it, because it's a really great song. I'm not going to, promise. But that is what I want to do this morning. I do want to flip kind of to the back of the book and look at the revelation of God's word and be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. We use the word hope a lot at Christmas. We use the word joy a lot at Christmas. I'm even going to do something I shouldn't do. I'm going to skip to the end just right now. I'm going to read a little passage that we're going to get back to. It's just this. It's Revelation 21.4. Just listen to this for a minute. It says this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Like I've read the back of the book, and we win. Amen? Reality is, sometimes in this life that we live, things can be difficult. The light can grow dim. It can get tiresome with the world around us. If we're living in this world, which we are, we look around, and it gets really tough at times to hold on to hope or to remember the hope or to be reminded of the hope that, we struggle, that, we're, that we're clinging to, but we struggle to see it. But Christmas is here, and, and Christians, we sing joy to the world, not because life is good, not because life is easy, but because God is good and his yoke is easy. And the Lord has come. Amen? Without Christ, hope is impossible to find. There's temporary things that ebb and flow, things that come and go, happiness that might feel real, but hope is impossible to find outside of Christ. But for us, the believers, for those of us who claim Christ, who know Christ, who say Christ is my hope, we sing joy to the world. We sing Christmas is here because Jesus and Jesus alone is the hope in the darkness. Me and Jay didn't communicate before this morning, but he read, he's actually taken, he read two things out of the thing we're going to talk about this morning because God has an amazing message for us. But in Isaiah, which he read, I mean, this is 700 years before Christ. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah wrote, writes in chapter 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before Christ comes. And after Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, the, the last of the minor prophets, as he, as he pens his final words, there, become, there comes 400 years of silence. So these Jewish nation, they don't have a leader. They're under oppression. They don't have new miracles. They don't have new prophecy. They're in silence. And they're desperately waiting for the hope to come. And after 400 years, the most incredible story in human history begins to unfold. One we all know well, God manifested in the flesh comes down to earth out of the darkness. We read this morning out of the darkness as promise comes the hope of the world because of our inability to fulfill a perfect law. Because of our inability to be perfect, our inability to fulfill the perfect justice, the requirements of justice, because of God's great love for us, he comes down. Jesus steps off his throne takes off his robe, lays down his crown, and comes down to the world and takes on the weight of our sin. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, everlasting to everlasting, comes humbly, veiled as a child, born in a manger. At Easter, we say, because of his great love, he died for us. How sweet and how true at Christmas we could similarly say because of his great love, his compassion, his mercy, that he lived for us so he could die for us. Amen is right. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and this, this is Christmas. We can just keep saying the promised Messiah has come. The promised Messiah has come. Wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Last week, Matt talked about Emmanuel, God, with us. This isn't like 2,000 years ago we had this hope. This isn't like in the future we're coming up to something, but God is with us. At Christmas, Christians, those who know and love Jesus, we're like, God is with us. It's not just hope from the darkness, but it's hope for today. Hope that is really hard to grasp sometimes. Like if I'm honest, and there's a lot of Christianese, I grew up fully church boy, like I'm as churched as you get from zero to now, just been in the church. I love the church. I love the family that we, we have. But there is at times Christianese. It's our own language. It's something like in the worst moments of our lives, the things people just come out and say, and you're like, yeah, I know. I've heard it. I know. But it is, it is hard at sometimes to grab practically to the hope that we know and believe in the midst of our deepest hurts and our greatest trials. Last week, or about two weeks ago, we were in a, a, our youth group, and I was preaching, and then afterwards, life groups, normally I don't get to sit in life groups, but I went in and sat and joined in a life group, and I asked this question, if we were to define hope and joy as a believer in Christ differently than the world, what would it sound like? How would we say it? One of our students just said, my grandma. I thought, well, you got to give me a little bit more. I don't really understand that. What do you mean by your grandma? And he was like, man... Last year, my grandma lost her husband. This year, she's diagnosed with cancer. But for some reason, she's still so full of joy. And she's still so full of hope. In my life group, the dad may have been there, so I was talking to his dad and saying, man, it's so cool that he would just see that. He would see evidence of joy and hope in, a, in trials and darkness through his grandma. And he's like, man, I'll tell you, it's true. It's true. There's, she's, 
in this season where her life is kind of just falling apart, she's more grounded, more persistent in the word than ever before, and day after day, her face is just pressed into the word of God, which just gives her hope. That it's not, even, it's not just in our brokenness that we find this hope. The hope for right now, the hope for today is also in my sin and in my shame. I have four girls. The third is like our wild child, really, really draining. That's the one that makes me say, Jesus, come quickly. It's just like everything's at running at 5,000 RPM until the moment she falls asleep. And then 6 a.m., 5,000 RPM. But I'm sitting in my living room chair when I get home from work, just kind of decompressing, sitting on my phone, reading three emails. I know it's a horrible thing. I was reading on my phone. I shouldn't have been doing it. And out of the corner of my eye, little Bo, she starts walking across the room, not like 5,000 kilometers an hour, just walking. And there's something in her face that looks really sad. And she leans over to me, and she whispers in my ears, and through tears, she says this. Dad, would you still love me if I broke the broom and I can't fix it? And as I went to hug her, she just took off, crying loudly. She bolted. So I went to find her, and I found her in my closet, underneath the clothes, sitting on the bump, just bawling and terrified, covered in guilt. And I got down beside her, and I said, baby, baby Bo, there's nothing you could do that would make me love you any less. In fact, the, the, the fact that you brought this to me, it now, it, it's now my burden. I can take it on. I can deal with this. I can fix it. It's not yours anymore. I love you, and I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to fix it. This burden is now mine, and I want to take it on. So for those of us who know Jesus, they know the weight of this story. Like Jesus is like, I got it, man. Like my hope right now, my hope in today, my hope at this Christmas is Jesus is like, I got it. I took care of it. For those of us on the outside of Christ who are looking in saying, what is this hope that Christians have? This is what Jesus is saying. Let me take this on for you. Like, let me take your guilt and your shame and the weight of your sin. Let me take it for you. In fact, it's already done if you would have me. I took the work. I took all of it with me on the cross. I nailed it to the cross. I buried it. And then I conquered it by rising again. Then I'm going to come back. And the promise is he's going to make all things new. So yeah, as Christians, even, even in our brokenness or our diseased state, or in our sin, in our guilt, in our shame state, the hope for today is that we can sing, Jesus is here, and he has paid the cost for me. And what brings me joy in the worst moments, in the most difficult or hard times, in the pain and the suffering or the guilt, and in my shame is knowing that Christ, in his perfection, stands before me. If you have your Bible, crack open to Colossians 2. I just want to read a couple of verses from Colossians. I love Colossians. We're going to teach it in February, but I want you to look at this with me. Colossians 2, just 14. Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law on your behalf. So the hope for today right now, if you are Christ followers, <laughs> this is like the sweetest message you can hear. If you're on the outside of Christ, I want you to hear this. I want to hear what it says when we, when we choose Christ, when we repent of our sin and we choose Christ. It says this in 2.14, that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this, he set aside nailing it to the cross. 
because of a perfect law defined by a perfect God, there is perfect justice required. But because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, my debt is canceled. That's my hope for right now. Because I'm going to accumulate more debt. But it's taken care of. It's, pay- it's canceled. It's paid for. If you flip your page backwards, Colossians 1.22 says this. While you flip, I'm going to take a drink. Colossians 1.22. He presents us before the Father as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. So like judgment day comes and I go and stand before the Father and just before I get there, Jesus stands right in front of me. He says, I got this. This is Marshall and he's holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. A lot of people know me. Very few people use those words to describe me. (laughs) We will not go over the words they may choose to use to describe me. But Jesus describes Marshall this way. He's holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you follow Christ, you know Christ, your hope for right now, for right today is this. Jesus describes you this way. You're holy, you're blameless, you're beyond reproach. What sin are you living under? What shame are you living under? What guilt are you not free from? Jesus is like, man, I caught it. Yeah, 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 but I've done it. Yeah, but you're holy. Yeah, but you have no idea. You're righteous. You're beyond reproach. Like if that's not a gift, I mean, I love socks at Christmas. Love chocolate, not Dollarama chocolate. But I do love chocolate. But, but this, this is the gift this Christmas. My hope for today is this. Canceling the debt, uh, the record of debt that stood against me with its legal demands by nailing it to the cross. Merry Christmas, Marv. Home Alone reference. That's my hope for right now. My hope for today. That I'm wrestling through this life. And I'm not good at it. My wife will tell you that. People who know me really close will tell you that. But Jesus, who knows me more intimately, closer than anybody, will tell you that you are holy, you are blameless, and you're beyond reproach because of his goodness, nothing that I did. Like, there's nothing that I can do during that title. Nothing. But because of how good and how perfect he is, my hope this Christmas, my hope for today, is that. And it's not just hope that peers through the darkness, and it's not just hope for today, but sometimes we forget that this is a hope everlasting. And we need to constantly be in God's word and hear, just please hear me. The students will hear it too often. I'll hear it to myself. We need to constantly be in God's word to be reminded of this because we are failing and flawed, and we don't really want to be, but be reminded of this constantly, be in God's word. But God stands outside of time. And that hope from 2,000 years ago was before that. And that hope for today is after us. And that hope that's coming is right now. Like, we're bound by time. God is not bound by time. So we have a hope that is everlasting, that is current and available to us right now, even though all around us things don't feel right. It doesn't, if this feels right to you, I want to come to your house. Like, things just don't feel right in this world. We sing joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore thee. And of course, we believe and we cling to this incredible hope, but still we look around us and we know Christ is the victor, but it doesn't look like he's the victor. It just doesn't feel like it all the time. In Corinthians, it says that we look through a glass darkly, like things are veiled, we don't really see it all. And while Christmas points to this message that that hope of Jesus Christ is here, the entirety of the gospel, the entirety of the Bible points at this message also that Christ is coming again, our King is coming again. 
we have the, the good word, the Bible, in our hands, Genesis to Revelation. Oftentimes, people forget this, it's not 66 books. It's one book, one revelation of God, one message to man, and it's this. From Genesis to Revelation, here's the message. It's God redeeming and rescuing the whole of mankind from sin and death through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to say it one more time. God redeeming and rescuing the whole of mankind from sin and death through the work and person of Jesus Christ. When we first meet the Messiah, there's this infancy. He comes as a, a child, meek and humble. So there's like this veiling. And honestly, we can't, just like the Jews at the time, we couldn't see, we can't see the whole picture, but Jesus through the baby, God in flesh, from his work cradle to grave, from his work resurrection to ascension, it's our story where we go from law to grace, from sinful to redeemed, from broken to restored, and from death to life. That's an amazing story. But it's not it. It's not the end. You might be thinking, what? That's enough. No, there's more to the story. We cling to the fact that there's more to this story. I'm going to ask for an amen here, but because our hope is no longer lying in a manger. Amen? Our hope is no longer nailed to a cross. Our hope is no longer lying in a grave. But our hope is alive and victorious, and his name is Jesus. And the king is coming again. Crack your Bibles to the very end, Revelation 21. We're going to read the back of the book. I'm going to change a word. We don't win. He wins. Sorry, gospel people. That's true. Revelation 21.6, let me read it to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It feels like Christmas part two is just exciting. And listen, right here, this next verse, before we get there, whatever you're walking through right now in life, think right now, there are people beside you, you would weep to know the secrets in their hearts. Whatever you are walking through, whatever disease is crippling you, Whatever loss you've experienced, whatever fight you're in, whatever burden you hold, whatever hurt you're wrestling with right now, follow along. Look at number four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That is Christmas. Like, that is such a sweet hope. That's a joy we can have in the darkest moments. For those in Christ, this is our eternal hope. This is our everlasting hope. This allows us right now, for those of us who suffer, we suffer with joy. It allows us to walk through difficult seasons of life at work, at home, with disease. We can be persecuted. We can be challenged. We can be despised, hated, rejected, mocked. 
but we have joy in our hearts because we know what is coming, we know what is here, and we know what has come. An everlasting joy. I mean, this world is in our home. Philippians tells us, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. This is a really big amen, but politics are not our hope. Politics are not our justice. Financial or economic roller coasters, they don't steer or control our joy. Disease and suffering are not the end for us. All of this, all of these trials we walk through, we can hold on for hope for today because the hope that came into the darkness and because of the everlasting hope we have in Jesus. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. And it's, this time it's not the same Jesus that came humbly on a manger. Jesus is going to unveil himself. I mean, he came as an infant to live and die as we did, to rise again, to conquer our sin. And the first time we see him, he comes veiled. But the second time, the second Christmas, it looks a very different way. And you're, if you're in Revelation, flip back one page, Revelation 19. I'm going to read this, 1911. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Just there, like just, just, just in that first verse. This isn't coming to a virgin in a manger. This is like ripping apart the reality of our world and stepping into our reality. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. 13 says, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name of which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven are reigned in fine linen, white and pure, and following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Read this along with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our king, our hope. He's going to return for us, and he will be our justice. Here's my question as we just wrap up thinking. Are you currently living in the hope that Christ reminds us of right now at this Christmas? Like, have, you, have we set our minds on things that are above? Marshall, have you set your mind on things that are above, or am I getting so mixed up in the, the local or the temporary worries and losses and pains and defeats in the economy or the politics or my own sense of justice? Are we so consumed with this, or are, or are we, and we should be, consumed with the hope we have in Jesus? A con- like a consumption that makes us say, I just want to get out of here, and I want to rip through those doors and run down the street saying, he's coming, he's coming. And there's a wrath coming, but I want you to know the hope that you can stand on in a difficult season. To our neighbors, our family, our friends, as I say this, probably somebody comes to your mind, someone that is living hopelessly without a joy. Are we desperately pursuing those who we're called to pursue? Do I cling to the hope and the promise that says, behold, I will make all things new. It's done like he's, it's done. We don't see it. We're in a timeline. We don't see it. God's like, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It's done. I'm the beginning and the end. Do I look at God's word with a hope and a trust that the king is coming again? And are we living in such a way that the world around us hears about the hope? Do we have a joy in us 
as followers of Christ? Like, do we have a joy in us? We're like, hey, I don't have any money this season. I got this disease, this frustration. I've got this hurt, but I've got such a joy in Jesus that they're going to come up to you and ask you about the hope that's within you. You have a chance to defend the gospel. Church, I pray that is where our heart is. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that we sit together as a church. We get to worship and we celebrate a God that is alive and active and living and victorious on our behalf. God, thank you that you are on the outside of time. Already know that the victory has happened. That you proclaim that it is done. You're the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega. God, remind us, stir in our hearts as we read your word over this Christmas season, stir in our hearts of the desperate need for us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That you're called us to do, God, there is a desperate need for hope just outside our doors. There's a desperate need of hope even inside our houses for those who don't know you. God, bring us close this season in our hearts and our trials. Give us that closeness of hope. In your holy and perfect and precious name, amen.